As I mentioned earlier, we are in a pause uh, from Romans right now, and uh, just so many things happening, and so we just kind of needed to take a pause. And so this message was actually born from a uh, a side by side devotional kind of interesting thing. Pastor Benji was talking about grace, and I was doing a devotion in in uh, grace as well. And we started talking, and and we kind of encouraged one another, and he kind of spilled a little bit of beans last week uh, that was planned and that was good but he also told you that we were going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 tonight and so this is a kind of a one-off sermon and there will be a couple more interruptions between now and before we get back to Romans chapter 1 but I certainly didn't want to start Romans 118 right now and then have to pick up and it would have been a mess so that's why we're here so praise Jesus, and we will celebrate grace as we get ready to celebrate grace who came in a manger. Amen? So Lord Almighty, as we turn to you again, I pray that you would indeed open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would open our eyes to your words so that we would be changed and you would make us to be the men and women of God you have created us to be. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will certainly be blessed and be a blessing. Amen. This evening, I want to talk about how it is that God works in our lives. And I think you're, many of you are going to be like me when you think, how does God work in our life? The key word that comes to mind is grace. Grace is, in fact, the the central evangelical belief. What what is it that we are saved by? We are saved by grace. And you have heard me and many other preachers, for that matter, over the years, say something along the lines that grace is us getting what we don't deserve and mercy is us getting what we not getting, what we do deserve. Now, amen. I affirm this, and I think that this is true, and I've used this, as I said, many times. But tonight, I want to go in a slightly different direction. I want to give balance to the view that we see of grace in Scripture. I want to argue that tonight, that grace is both unmerited favor, and grace is unlimited power. So before I begin to look at scripture, I want to give a a hypothetical event and we could see in this event how unmerited favor and unlimited power are combined. Imagine, hypothetically of course, it wouldn't have happened two weeks ago this last Friday. This is all hypothetical. Imagine your son calls you from Los Angeles and tells you he just got in a car accident. Hypothetically, of course, right? He calls you, and the first question that you ask is, are you okay? Yes. Okay. Is the car still drivable? Yes. Are you safe? You know, you're asking these questions. Okay, we need some basic information here. Everybody's alive, right? Yes. Okay, so 
once you've established that everybody in, in both cars is, is good, little scratches and little chunks out of the car become minor details. Well, first of all, before you get going, we already have grace. Nobody was hurt. The car is still drivable. There's a lot of grace there. And this hypothetical son's hypothetical dad got in a lot worse car accidents than that. It isn't hard to see that there is unmerited favor going on here. Because in a car accident, especially on the 101 at night, relatively new driver, another guy driving really fast. This is all hypothetical, you understand, right? All kinds of bad things can happen. And not just in the accident, after the accident as well. But there's not, it's not hard to see another aspect of unmerited favor going on at the same time. Imagine the hypothetical dad who is on the line in Santa Maria talking to his son, absorbing this with a calm heart and a clear mind. Now that's grace. Because some moms and dads out there might start yelling before they get any news. Now, obviously that wouldn't be me. Hypothetically, of course. But having the presence of mind to ask questions like, are you okay? Is, are you able to drive the car? Is also unmerited favor. But you realize when you take a step back and you're looking at this accident that you're only seeing it from one particular point of view, the hypothetical son's point of view, not the hypothetical dad's perspective. God is at work in him as well. And God's grace is at work, but in this case, it's unlimited power. And the reason why I say that is because if my father's son is on the phone with his son, it's going to take God working kingdom purposes in me not to overreact about the situation and not to start panicking, oh my goodness, what's going on a hundred miles south of me? You see, just this small little fender bender that happened shows us a ton of grace. God working in my son, in the person who hit him, in me, and in all the situation around. We see that grace is unmerited favor and it is unlimited power. Now, all hypothetical, right? You guys caught that? But for the sake of clarity, is there biblical evidence of, of this kind of balance of what grace looks like? Well, I think there is. We find it in Romans 4.4, 4, for example. It says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. This gift is the word that we normally translate as grace. And clearly, Paul in Romans 4.4 4 is talking about the unmerited grace or the unmerited favor aspect of grace. And this is the normal way evangelicals use the word, is how we think about it. And this is one of the 
primary verses we go to to see unmerited favor because this is the passage where Paul lays out most clearly what we see as salvation by grace through faith. But Paul is also anxious for us to understand that grace is a working of God the Father's unlimited power. What power, Paul? Well, the power to accomplish his will. In this case that we're about to look at, his will is that God would minister through Paul the good news of Jesus Christ according to all the promises that he had laid out for us throughout what we call the Old Testament. We see this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. And he's talking to Jews and he says, The Gentiles are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the good news. And of this good news, excuse me, I was made minister according to the gift of God's grace. Okay, so it's grace that is going on in Paul's life that makes him a minister of this good news. And it's this grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This gets to the heart of what I've been saying lately about grace. And this sentence, the sentence that gets to the heart of both sides of this idea of unmerited favor and unlimited power is this. Grace is the power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes. Grace is the power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes. Now, starting with the forgiveness of sins and our trespasses, this clearly, this forgiveness is a kingdom purpose. And God has laid this out right from the beginning of Scripture. But we also see that grace is power to live according to His promises, like the forgiveness of sins, like guidance through our lives, like the hundreds of promises that we are given so that we can trust them, so that we can live out kingdom purposes, so that God would be demonstrated as faithful and powerful and ready to work in your life and through your life into the lives of those who are near you. Let's see what I believe to be Paul's clearest statement of this truth. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10. to Paul says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the, sin, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. According to Paul, God's <coughs> love for us motivated His mercy and His grace to shower us with unmerited favor. And in this case, this unmerited favor is displayed. It is put on a show so everybody can see it. The forgiveness of our sins and the provision of an eternal relationship with Him. But it also puts on display, it makes manifest the unlimited power that is needed for sinful people to trust His promises. And when we are trusting His promises to accomplish the good works through us that would bring Him glory, us joy, and growth to the kingdom. That was a mouthful, huh? But that's okay. Because go back and reread. And right now, we're going to do exactly that. We are going to see that God's grace is the power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes. Let's see that as we go back, starting in verses 1 to 3. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So let's start in this discussion about grace and seeing grace as unmerited favor and as unlimited power. Let's start where we are most comfortable. Grace is, in fact, unmerited favor. Why do I say that? Well, it's actually not that hard to see. God, in His grace, is willing to forgive your sins. Just look at our passage. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you walked in these trespasses and sins. You were following the course of the world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. You were one of the sons of disobedience. And we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And we all once carried out the desires of the body and our minds. And we were all, by nature, children of wrath, just like everyone else. Now, In case you fell asleep right there, that's not a very flattering view of you and me. That's not a very flattering view of anybody else in the world either. Your works and mine will not save us because you were dead. And corpses don't do any work except stink and rot. Corpses can't do any work to save themselves because they're already dead. But my friends, grace, grace 
is the power of God to raise dead corpses to life. I need an amen. amen. Come on. you got to be awake tonight. Amen. Grace is God at work turning our feeble efforts into something that brings Him glory, us joy, and brings growth to the kingdom. Amen. I get, okay, I got two. All right. Grace is the power of God to help God's people say amen when Pastor Greg wants them to. Amen. Grace is the power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes. And the first, and I'm going to say foremost application, is to praise Jesus for your salvation. Now let's get real. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with ourselves just for a moment. How often do you praise Jesus for saving your soul? Just spontaneously praise Jesus. This is not the end for me. Praise Jesus. I am free from my trespasses and sins in which I once walked when I was following the course of the world, when I was following the prince of the power of the air around us. Praise Jesus. That is no longer true of me. Praise Jesus. If you trust the promises of God for you in Christ, that is no longer true of you either. Amen. That is right. Praise Jesus. You are no more children of wrath. And you can celebrate the fact that you are born again. You are a new creation. You are a child of God. And there is so much more that we can praise Jesus about. But we're going to just see a few short verses about that right now. Verse 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. My friends, this is good news. In fact, but God. But God. Good news always starts with but God. Because the bad news starts in my heart. And I need God the Father to accept that. Notice in our passage here, we have mercy, we have love, we have grace. And along with this love and mercy and grace, what do we find? Well, we find the fruit of this love and mercy and grace that abounds to those who trust this love and mercy and grace. Specifically, what does Paul say? He made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him. And He did this so that He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us. 
Here we see, we see the balance with what we started this sermon with. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. And mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. What part of grace do you deserve? Precisely nada, nix, zilch, bumpkiss. If you and I get anything but the place in the hottest spot in hell, you are getting what you don't deserve. And mercy, on the other hand, mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. Wrath, fury, constant, eternal damnation. But for those God chooses, we don't get this. Praise Jesus. Now, is this a whole story? No, I don't think so. I'm going to come back to this point here in a second. I'm not going to get there yet. Stay with me. Because this grace and mercy are really two sides of the same coin. And this coin is motivated by the love of God. But before we get to the other side of this that I, I want to get to net first, I want to notice something that's going on in our passage that I know, for example, I have allowed my eyes to pass over many times. And I suspect that many in the church do as well. I want us to see the logic that is going on between what we find in verses 1 to 3, that we deserve nothing less than the hottest place in hell, and what's happening in verses 4 to 7, where we get so, so, so much better than the hottest place in hell. How does God pour such riches on us who are so undeserving? Well, obviously, it comes from Jesus and His cross. But you miss something important if you miss the logic of the cross. You miss something absolutely crucial to your well-being right now if you don't understand what is going on behind the cross. And in, it's explained in many places, but one of my favorite explanations of this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Moses is speaking to the people. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. That should make you stop and praise Jesus right then. Who is he talking to? Israel, full of sin, just like you and me. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. He goes on, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all peoples. Why did the Lord set His love on you and choose you? Why did the Lord set His love on us and choose us? It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. Ephesians 2, 1-3 fit with Ephesians 2, 
4 to 7 precisely because God chooses to love us. God loves us for one reason. (laughs) Because He loves us. God loves us because He loves us. Just like the water that gushes from the ground because there's too much of it to be held back, God loves us because there's too much love to be held back by my rocky heart. Now Jesus had to go to the cross to secure that. He needed to get in there and break up that rocky ground, but that's not what this passage is talking about. God the Father sent God the Son to the cross so that He can burn away whatever vestige of sin that separates you from Him so that He can love you. Not because you're smart, not because you're pretty, not because you're famous, not because you're strong, not because you have influence. God loves you because He loves you. My friends, you got to catch this logic that is behind the cross. This is grace, God loves you, that makes grace possible. It takes grace and mercy motivated by love to make the grace powerful in and through and for His people. You and me. And all of God's people around the world. You need grace. Starting with God choosing you. You need grace to get grace. That is God loving you. Because he chose you. And then you need grace to experience grace. God choosing you so that he would love you. So that he loves you. He loves you. And you don't have to play with daisies to figure out if God loves me or God loves me not. Now I want us to catch something very important here. I want us to see as we are examining this logic that makes the cross possible. I want us to see Who is the subject of the sentence going on here? It's God. Who is the stinky, rotten corpse who needs to be acted upon? It is us. Who is the one who needs grace to awaken our spirit according to the stated and repeated and sung about purposes of the King of Kings and President of Presidents? What is the kingdom purpose that grace is accomplishing? Bringing me to life. Because man, it took unlimited power for my father's son to be saved. I expected my wife to say amen on that one. (laughs) Grace is the power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes. Praise Jesus. But again, we are all familiar with this. And there's something I think that needs to be emphasized. What is the so what here? Here, I think we as a church, not Grace Baptist, but as a 
certainly American evangelicalism, we often make a huge mistake that undermines our ability to enjoy our salvation and it disrupts our credibility with the watching world around us. And it is summed up with the phrase worm theology. Worm theology is that I'm such a horrible worm that I deserve only and always bad things and it should surprise no one, least of all me, that I still do stupid things that result in mire being splashed on the face of Jesus and shame to my own soul. Now, I think most people in this room know me well enough that I would be lying if I said I never fall to that. That's kind of the way that I tend in this thinking about worm theology. But that is not the way it ought to be. Instead, two things need to come to our mind. We need to trust God's promise that we are no longer a stinking, rotting corpse. You are no longer a worm. You are no longer one who should expect lust and coveting and bitterness and whatever flavor of sin is attracted to, attractive to you. You should no longer expect that to be your daily experience. So live! Walk free! Fight your flavor of sin. Remind yourself that it is putrid. And that good, solid, warm, homemade berry pie with homemade vanilla ice cream right on top is available to you now. Now, I'm not saying you'll never sin. I'm not saying that life's always going to be easy. But you don't have to cling to that putrid stuff anymore and hold it close to you. Grace is power for you to accomplish kingdom purposes like fighting, rejecting bitterness, fighting lust, overcoming jealousy. You can live now as one who is gloriously alive. But number two, you can trust God's promise that you are no longer a corpse while you are living around those who remain corpses. Now, obviously, the metaphor breaks down here. I, all metaphors break down, and here's where this one does. Those corpses who are around you, those who do not yet trust the promises of God for them in Christ, still make decisions. But what we find in Scripture is they cannot make, just, they cannot make decisions that lead to life. And remember, it takes grace to have grace poured out so that you can experience grace. Okay, we get that in Deuteronomy. But what is it? The grace is God's unlimited power working through you so that this person over here can see unmerited favor at work. And they see this and they say, man, that looks good. Where can I get me some? And so they come to you and you tell them at the foot of the cross. It takes unlimited power to experience unmerited grace. It takes God working through you so that those around you can have this heavenly vision and their eyes opened to the gift that cannot be purchased. 
which is exactly where Paul ends this passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Now many of you will have memorized these verses, and they concisely explain the truth contained in our opening phrase. Grace is unmerited favor, and it is unlimited power. We see the unmerited favor in verses 8 and 9. I bet most of you here can quote this in one version or another, but we'll just stick with the ESV. I memorized it in the nearly inspired version. Sorry. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. You should rejoice right now on hearing this. Praise Jesus! Woohoo! Yes! This is good news. It's not good news, it's the greatest news. You can be free of your sins. This Christmas, you can celebrate the baby born to take away your sins. You are saved. You are free. You are loved. You are safe. Rejoice. You cannot lose what you did not earn. And the greatest present in the world is unmerited favor for everyone who will trust the promises of God for them in Christ. But grace is also unlimited power. Verse 10, For we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, that we should walk in them. Once again, rejoice! Because, my friends, this is the second greatest news ever. The first greatest news is you can be saved. The second greatest news is that you can be an instrument in bringing that salvation to others. And you can be God's instruments, God's means of grace to bring encouragement who are walking alongside of you who need encouragement. Anybody in this room ever need encouragement? Right? How does God give that encouragement? Certainly through His Word. I, I will never deny that. But you know how He does it? Through you and me. This was one of the conversations that Pastor Benji and Pastor James and I had earlier this week. I think it was on Monday or Tuesday. And we were talking about the fact that we speak God's Word to each other. And all of us have read God's Word Word cover to cover, dozens of times. All three of us have. But you know, sometimes you just need someone to come alongside of you and remind you of what it says. You are that means of grace by which the Lord uses His unlimited power to take sinful, finite people and make them His means of bringing glory to Himself. Grace is unmerited favor and unlimited power. My freshman year in high school, I was a cross-country and track runner, uh, had been for a few years, and uh, I got put in the PE class with 
the football kids. And yeah, anyways. Was, was anybody in here in elementary school that kid that always got picked last? You know, I was always one of the tallest kids in class, but that meant I was absolutely uncoordinated and uncoordinatable. Anyways, I, I was trying desperately to remember his name, uh, but he was Mr. Football of, of the freshman class of our school. And so we were out there playing flag football and, uh, in PE one day, and he had said to me, he had just said to me, man, Greg, you can run, but you can't, you can't run with a, a ball in your hand. He said something like that. It was very derogatory and very like freshman boys. You, you men know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know what happened? I ran right up the middle, right past him, scored a touchdown. That's my proudest football moment of all time. I don't have any others. That was grace, glorious grace. No. <laughs> unlimited power, unmerited favor, and unlimited power are yours. Because you may not be the guy who runs up the middle and scores a touchdown right past Satan's nose. No, I'm not really comparing him to Satan. <laughs> but you're on the winning team. Live like it. Receive that unmerited favor and live by that unlimited power so grace in you will accomplish kingdom purposes. Lord Almighty, we live in a dark world and we so desperately need Your grace in us and through us so that Your kingdom purposes will be accomplished. May you be shown to be glorious as you are. Live in us and through us, Jesus. And bless us so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.